This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. You know, this um, this Vegas Edmonton series has been fascinating. And I think we're all wondering, and maybe the answer is, hey, tonight we're going to get it in Game 5. I think we're waiting to see a game where both teams show up. We've seen a lot of blowouts. We've seen tilted rings. Edmonton looking great one game. Vegas looking great the next game. I think we're wondering if in the following three games or less, we're going to have a game where both teams kind of show up. We'll see if Shane Knighty uh, expects maybe that to happen this evening. Vegas Golden Knights analyst and also from the NHL on TNT. He is Shane Knighty and he joins me now. Shane, thanks so much for doing this. How are you today? Thanks, Jeff. Good to be on. Uh, yeah, just to follow up what you're saying, I was just like you. I think first two games, I kind of give a pass. All right, they're feeling each other out. Game three, I'm like, all right, here we go, both teams. Well, no. Game four, same thing. And uh, I really don't know what to yeah. expect tonight. Yeah, you. that's what playoffs. You want to see the best of both. Um, you know, it, it took a while. You look at the Carolina series, it took till last night for them really to get going and, and have a game. So, yeah, it's been a strange round, too. That said, I, I fully expect the Golden Knights to respond, which we've seen teams respond game to game. Now it's a matter of can the Oilers respond in-game or the Golden Knights when one team takes full momentum of the game because we know how important momentum shifts and you know that magnifies this time of year. We haven't seen a team really grab it back in-game, and that's, that's kind of what you need for it to settle down and both teams get to it. So, yeah, it's fascinating. It's interesting, and I really don't know what to expect tonight. No, neither, neither do I. I don't think any of us does. And anyone, you know, uh, in my position, in your position, or in a, you know, sitting on the couch watching the game at a bar after work and discussing the game, really have no idea. This is like grasping a handful of water. Just, you know, sit back and enjoy what happens here in Game 5. Um, but I'm, I'm curious because you've played in the NHL and you've played in the playoffs in the NHL. We always hear about how different a game it is. Oh, it's more rugged. It's really snug. It's real tight and gas is closed and you have to earn every inch and it's all true but I'm always I'm always curious about because you just mentioned like in-game momentum and how hard it is to to stop it um what is it like Shane like what is it like playing in the playoffs in the NHL and how is it like how do you because everyone feels it it's hard to define it but how do you even go about stopping another team's momentum mental it it is it is all about that mental game and mental toughness of individuals in a team because there's always going to be shifts. How you handle that, you know, physically they all can play the game. You've, you know, they all have the ability to play their best, but it's the mental part that you've got to be the toughest on. And, you know, I'm not saying it, you know, it isn't as mentally tough. It's a hard game to play. Um, you know, I think the skill level is certainly elevated over the years, you know, you look at it, and I think you look at the regular season, and particularly this year, because of the high skill, creativity, and more of an open game as opposed to when I played, I think, you know, teams never feel they're out of it. They're, they're not afraid to go after it. And I think when you open up the games in playoffs where it's magnified and a team has the lead, you think what worked in the regular season doesn't work now. And... I think that's where the mental toughness comes in. It's like, okay, you got to rein back. All right, maybe now's not the time. Even if we're down a goal or two goals, let's not make it three and four. Let's just get back to our game. Let's try and establish momentum. And that can be done different ways. Mm-hmm. That can be done by playing simple, getting on the four check, getting in. Yeah, we love to see all these plays and that, and that's what makes it fun and wide open. But teams that can grind it out. You look at Carolina, the guys they're missing. They, don't, they didn't change the style of play. They are, they are a straight north team. Yeah. They are built for playoffs, their yep. style. And no surprise, they're the first team through. Um, that, that said, regardless of who's in, right, they, they lost a ton of skill, Patrick Svechnikov. But the guys that come in, they're, they're willing to play the right way. And I think there's some teams that, you know, you, you just think your skill is going to take over and you always have a chance in the game. And then all of a sudden it's out of hand and it's like, oh, well, now we'll wait till next game. And I think back when we played, it's like, you know, you pound at home, all right, stick to structure, game. Let's not get away from what makes us successful. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't know if that's the right answer. That's the way I see it. So uh, I think mental, the mental focus has changed in a way because there's so much skill and speed in the game now mm-hmm. that guys are, are willing to 
continue to to not change. And I think it's a you know not to be it's a little bit of stubbornness on the players because they are they have that ability. We didn't you know you had one or two guys, the majority of the guys when we play, it's like all right, we're gonna yeah. we're gonna wear it down, we're gonna grind this out, we're gonna do whatever we can. Where it's the opposite, we're not gonna grind this out. We're we're gonna skill this out. Uh, that is a good answer because you played in the NHL and played in the playoffs, unlike me. Hang on, let me just check my hockey DB page here. Yeah, <laughs> zero uh, games in the NHL and zero in the playoffs. Before we get um, back to Vegas, w- one more question. Uh, I am really curious about this from a defense point of view. What's the? Is there one thing, Shane, that you found you could get away with as a defenseman in the regular season that you could never get away with in the playoffs like is there one thing that you look at and you say yeah you know what i could do that in the regular season but seven game series i would never even think to try that well i'm not going to go to the early 2000s because uh, there was a lot extra you could get away with then uh just the, the <laughs> style of the game right like like yeah in front of the net you, you're you're allowed probably two clean cross checks in the third they, you know and the rest would say you want more and you're gone so um, I think yeah. when it got to there, I think it's always, I always took the, the thing you've got, you've got to have willpower. You do more than ever, but if you're going to play tough, you're probably willing to get away with the first shot. Like if it's in tight and not a blatant, you know, like I think we've seen cross checks and I, I could go into this. I've never been one. I think that goes back to what I said, mental toughness. Your focus can't be on the rest. Mm-hmm. The calls are going to be the calls. Agree, disagree. That's for fans. Whatever jersey they wear, they're watching the game, and it's two completely different views of how the refing went. So when you're a player, you, you can't worry about that. That's outside noise. You've got to focus on your game, and you've got to control your emotions more than the regular season. But knowing you can get away maybe with a little extra shot in the corner, or you know, and I'm not saying a blatant penalty, but you know, cross-checks we've seen, they, they, they really crack down on it, but I've seen way more in playoffs than than we've seen in a long time. And even in this series, both ways. Uh, you look at the sure. Nick Woggle, that was a cross-check. You look at it, it was 2 nothing. Yamamoto on stone cross-check. And there's a few the Vegas way as well. Um, so I think, you know, when I play, it's knowing that if you're in the battle, you may be able to get a quick shot in there. But if you do any, if you get one and retaliate, good chance that's going to be called. Yeah. That's going to be the one they uh, they they nail. So no Petrangelo tonight. One game suspension. No Darnell Nurse on the Edmonton side. One game the instigator is upheld. So the question that I have, like Shea Theodore didn't have, by his standards, certainly a good game four. I don't expect to see another performance like that out of Shea Theodore. And to be honest with you, Shane, that's the guy I think I might be most interested in tonight. Um, with Petrangelo gone, someone's going to take up uh, a lot of the minutes and take up the spot. My eyes are on Shea Theodore tonight. Uh, do you feel the same? Agree 100 and however many percent over. He was not good. <laughs> I don't think he's been anywhere near his game. I think he's the player exactly that I want to see elevate tonight. And... You know, maybe because Petrangelo's eating up a lot of that ice, and and maybe now that he's going to be that guy, this is a chance for him. He's got to use his skating legs. He's got to get up in the rush. He's got to defend harder. You know, there's a lot. And I'm sure he knows all this. No question. You know, that start, two penalties, turnover, boom. Uh, That early in the game. It it just didn't go well for him. And and I don't know if he fully recovered, right? That's tough in the playoffs. Uh, going back to that mental topic, you got to find a way to get around that. So I'm, I'm really excited to see what he can do tonight because if they, if they want to win tonight, he has to be a big part of it. Like he, he can, he can be that type of element they need to beat to beat the Oilers on top of his game. So yeah, he's a guy they need to play well tonight. Um, I'm like Ben Hutton is coming in the lineup. He's, he's one of those guys, a veteran that understands the role. Hey, I've been in it. You're out for lengths of time, and when you come in, you're ready. He, he's really done a good job of that all season, and then when he came in for the one game against the Winnipeg Jets. So uh, he skates well. He's unafraid to go back for pucks, take a hit, make a play, all those things. So, um, yeah, mm-hmm. but uh, just to follow up, I agree with you. Tonight, Jay Theodore, I'm fascinated to see the game he brings here because I think he has that ability, and uh, he needs to bounce back.
Uh, Jack Eichel, um, first game of the playoffs. Whoa, I think uh, I think we were surprised to see Eichel um, yeah. as ineffective uh, as he was, and I think he was surprised at what playoff hockey was like. But it seemed as if, you know, what was it, game uh, two, <laughs> where he made the adjustment, and, and ever since then, Eichel's been one of the best players on the ice. What are you seeing now? From Jack Eichel, I want to get to Stone and Barbashev here if we have a if we have a chance. But your thoughts on what we've seen from Jack Eichel here? Well, when it, it kind of goes with the team, you're right. First game is kind of okay. He took the temperature, realized it's elevated. He has the yeah. ability. I think this year, you know, his offensive numbers maybe not where they were, but he bought in. And I've talked about this a lot on shows I've done. Bruce Cassidy's talked about all year. His buy into the defensive system and playing. Well, he, he's become a real good defensive center because he has, he has a long reach. He's strong. He's quick. He can close. So he's learned, and he's really good at support underneath because he comes with so much speed. You know, any of those centers, you know, mm-hmm. to have that, you know, they look at McKinnon, McDavid, Eichel, those guys. That's where, that's where you generate the offense a lot of times is those guys' ability to come underneath the plays, battles on the wall, and get the puck in the middle ice and the right support. So I think he's really adjusted and bought into that. Now, you know, I think he falls in with the rest of the team in game two and four. Need to be better. That, that's not on him. That's, that, that's a collective effort where they all need to be better. Game three, I thought, was his best of playoffs. That's the Jack Eichel they need. They need, they need that star power to match up against the Oilers. And he is an ultra-competitive guy. I'd expect him to be ready tonight and to elevate his game because uh, he, he has that ability. It, you know, it's, you look at his skill set, I've watched him all year. He can do things, I think. I keep thinking that, you know, what's his ceiling? And I, I, I think he hasn't gotten to it yet. Buffalo here. But I think his all-around game has really come around and been impressive. Uh, you know, understanding and playing on both sides of the puck uh, has been very important. And, and I, I like the way he's you know, taking the attention to detail. Now it's just a matter of, you know, okay, I've got that part of my game built in. Now I've got to, you know, take that next step offensively because he has the tools. You know what's bizarre about this series? Like, we've talked a lot about, well, Leon Dreisaitl, uh, for one. Lately, of course, we've talked about the Petrangelo nurse situation. Um, but <laughs> considering how much was made of, you know, we go back to the Fort Lauderdale draft and Connor McDavid goes first and Jack Eichel goes second on any other year, Jack Eichel's going first overall, etc. Considering there is so much of a, of a build-up between the two going into the draft and measuring each other against one another, I, I'm kind of surprised, to be honest with you, Shane, that we're not making more about how this is Jack Eichel versus Connor McDavid. Does that surprise you as well? Um just yeah for the narrative absolutely but at the same time you know you know it's, it's unfair in a sense because who do you care compare Connor mcdavid to like it's no one it, it's a different level they, they exactly and and you know i talked to guys around the league this game in the summer they say he's another world right like what yeah. he does is just not you know, like there is elite elite players in the league and then there's Connor mcdavid um you know, maybe the next best, closest comparison is teammate Dreisaitl, what he does, a completely different style. But uh, I think Jack Eichel yeah. is a tremendous player. Just you go back to the Crosby-Bobby Ryan, like, you know, that's not fair. Um, you know, any of those yeah. generational talents that go first overall, you can't compare the next picks because their game is just at another level and they continue to prove it once they make the NHL. Um, but yeah, for the narrative, certainly the draft class, we always connect those guys and there's a, there's always storylines sure. there, but to that point, I think, you know, and you look at these two teams, you, you talk about the Edmonton Oilers and their success. You talk about McDavid and Dreisaitl, you talk about the Golden Knights, Eichel's part of it. He's part of the conversation, but you're talking about, yep. you know, their defensive core, their defensive structure, their, their four lines, their, you know, depth, that's that's kind of been their strength to why they won the West. Um, whereas if Edmonton won, you know what we're talking about, three 100-point guys, Dry Settle, McDavid, that's the strength. And they do have more. They made some great acquisitions. Zach Cole and Bukestad have come in. Yeah, yeah Mark's been a nice piece, but that's not what you talk about. So that, that's the way I look at it. Let, let me close on this one. I've got about uh, maybe 60, maybe 90 seconds for this one. Um, 
You know who I really like on this team and I thought was a really sneaky good pickup at trade deadline because it's guys like this that help put you over the top. It's not always the big splash at deadline. Man, I like Ivan Barbashev. I like yeah. him as a blue. I like him as a Vegas Golden Knight. He's a playoff guy. He's got skill. He's not scared. Uh, he'll hit to hurt. He'll hit for keeps. Uh, I I look at this Shane and I say, you know what? This is this is a Shane Knighty kind of guy. Your shot. Your uh, your thoughts on Ivan Barbashev? And a, and a great, just a great guy off the ice too. So. Yeah, I've always loved him. I, uh, I remember covering the Colorado-St. Louis series last year and his hit on Gerard that put him out. Uh, and, oh, you know, when they, and, and, yeah, and I remember, you know, I think Vegas was pursuing Barbashev for a long time, eventually got him. So I was like, and I watched him a little bit, and I'm like, man, he hits hard. And then he came here. I'm expecting this big, and he's 190 pounds. But he, he just plays the game <laughs> the right way. He throws everything he can, like, and he hits. You said he hits the hit. And I think the biggest thing oh, yeah. he's been, he's been great utility. Like he can play anywhere, you know, he won the cup being a fourth line player. So he's played some fourth line, third line. Then, you know, he's on the power play and he can play, you know, he's been a real nice, you know, piece on that left side uh, with Eichel and Marsha. So, or wherever they want to put him, they, you know, if they put him with Steven, or with Stevenson, he's just, he's a multitasker. He brings so many elements and, you know, uh, I think, you know, he's a guy they need to, to bring that physicality, step up his game. Certainly tonight as this series goes along. Looking forward to it. Uh, tonight, 10 o'clock Eastern game five, Vegas golden Knights and the Edmonton Oilers watch this one on CBC and on Sportsnet. Shane, thanks as always for stopping by pal. I appreciate the expertise um, and the teaching of what it's really like playing in the playoffs as opposed to, <laughs> To the regular season. Enjoy tonight, Shane. We'll be uh, we'll be watching this one closely. Thanks as always. Awesome, Jeff. Thanks very much. Have a great day. There he is. I, the uh, the man telling us about Ivan Barbashev, Shane Knighty, the sheriff they call him. Uh, man, he played an honest brand of hockey. You know, it's interesting. Um, Shane mentioning that the Vegas Golden Knights for a while had been uh, had been pursuing Ivan Barbashev. The other player that I'm told that Vegas has tried to get at various times, like I think like three or four different times, they've always liked them, is Radic Foxa from the Dallas Stars. That's someone that Vegas has always coveted. A good two-way player when he's healthy. He's a sneaky, stealthy, selky trophy candidate. That's the guy they've tried to get for a long time. But now, Pete DeBoer loves him. I don't think he's going anywhere. All right, so that's one of the two games tonight. The early game, the Toronto Maple Leafs facing off against the Florida Panthers. The Maple Leafs looking to stave off elimination. Pick up that conversation with Scott Lachlan an hour or two and Daniel Briere, general manager of the Flyers. He's still to come as well. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Just reading a funny tweet. Someone writing about the podcast. Jeff. Fridge, what are you hearing about the Islanders? Four men burst into the studio. Lights are killed. The sound of scuffling and shattering glass. Then instant silence. The lights come back on. Elliot, bruised and tied to a chair. Quote, they're hiring some business guy, Jeff. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, oh, hi. Welcome back to the program. Welcome to Hour 2. Coming up. After the bottom of the hour break, um, I'll talk to Daniel Breer, the uh, the general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, his interim tag officially removed yesterday, although, you know, listen, this is probably the worst kept secret around the NHL, that Daniel Breer was going to be, as always, uh, the full-time GM of the Philadelphia Flyers. That was just made official yesterday. Press conference today, Dan Helferty was there, Valerie Camillo, John Tortorella, Daniel Breer, and... Keith Jones. Uh, in the meantime, we lose Keith Jones as a great hockey broadcaster. Like I said yesterday, I'm really happy for Keith Jones. He's a wonderful guy. Um, uh, just delightful to deal with. Super smart, super connected, really knowledgeable guy. 
Um, one of someone, because no one's going to say number one, but one of the players who claims to be the second best player to come out of Brantford, Ontario. Anyhow, really happy for uh, for Jonesy, as I'm sure uh, my next guest is as well. Um, he's had him on his program a number of times. He knows him. Uh, Scott Lachlan, co-host of the uh, Morning Skate on NHL Network Radio on Sirius XM, joins me now. Scotty, first of all, how are you? And I thought of you yesterday as I was driving my oldest son to baseball practice. Um Last summer, it seemed that whenever he was in the car, I was always listening to Iron Maiden for some reason. <laughs> and yesterday, you'll love this, Scotty. Out of the blue, he says, can you put on that song, Power Slave, before we go to baseball <laughs> practice? And there are moments when you're a real proud dad, and that was one of those moments, Scott. I'm like, Scott Lachlan will love this one. Yeah, I tell you what, Jeff. I mean, if you want to set the tone and you want to get in the right mindset <laughs> and you want to come with some intensity and you want to take that to the ice yes. or to the field or to the court or whatever the yes. case may be, I would highly recommend any sort of Iron Maiden, uh, especially from Number of the Beast yeah. onwards. I know people are into Blaze Bailey a little bit and Paul Diano, the original lead singer and such, but I'm a Bruce guy. Like when Bruce Dickinson came aboard on Same. Number of the Beast, everything Same. just kind of changed, didn't it? Uh, it, it totally did. Great showman, fascinating guy, one of the most interesting people um, mm-hmm. in the entire genre. Highly intelligent, highly ambitious, and like and bluntly, a great set of pipes. Like really, like I like my 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 favorite, you know, hard rock singer was you know probably Ronnie James Dio. Like just brilliant mm-hmm. vocal range. Um, but Bruce Dickinson's right up there, Scotty, for me as well, man. I think he is now. Now, if you get on to a plane, because I know Bruce, you know, he he flies the the Iron Maiden jet uh, here, there, and everywhere, as yes. it turns out. But if you get on a plane and you find out that Bruce Dickinson is your pilot, are are you, are you excited about the flight, Jeff? Or are you saying, hey, where's the door? Yes. Let me get out of here. Like no. I guess you can kind of pertain it to hockey too. And if Al Secord is on your American Airlines yes. flight and Al Secord is the pilot, are you signing up for all that? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I was, was going to say I was going to say LC court as well, and I'll throw another one at you. If you're taking like a turbo prop somewhere, if you're going from like uh, Vancouver to Victoria, quick little flight, and you find out that Alex Kovalev is, <laughs> is flying your turbo prop plane, are you still cool with that? <laughs> <laughs> is Mike Keenan on the flight? I don't know. Like, how would that work out? That'd be an interesting <laughs> flight if he was kind of directed as head coach, right? You you know what's a funny story about that because whenever you it's funny too because whenever you hear the name Kovalev like I'm with you I always flash that that Rangers game where he left yeah. him out there you know over and over like for I think it was like seven or eight minutes I remember asking Mike about that when he was working with us at Sportsnet we were out for a beer after one of the shows and so certainly the conversation goes all over the place and I said you know I'm curious Mike like what's what's going on like what what happened there when you you, know, you wouldn't let Kovalev come off the ice like why'd you leave him on there for I think it was got like seven or eight minutes like one of the longest shifts we've ever seen and he said well listen I was only gonna uh, leave him out there for like two or three minutes but the guy scored so there's no way I was gonna let him come back to the bench not a chance it was only going to be a couple of minutes, but there was no way, so I just left him out there until his tongue was hanging out. Um, anyway, good afternoon, Scotty. It's always good to, to hear your voice and have you on the uh, the broadcast here. Um, I want to go a number of different places here, but a couple of big games tonight. Uh, we'll focus in initially on the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Florida Panthers. And one of the things that I'm wondering about here is we all know what's at stake for the Toronto Maple Leafs, whether it's, you know, employment for certain executives, whether it's employment behind the bench, whether it's contracts for certain players, whether it's, you know, uh, this team as comprised right now and who might not be wanted on the voyage next season. The question to me is not sort of what happens if they lose tonight, because I think we all understand what may happen here if they lose tonight. My question I wonder about is how quickly... Do you think these decisions get made because the draft is on the horizon, free agency, all of it? And I know I'm getting ahead of myself here, but I'm going to have to assume that things would have to happen pretty quickly here if the Maple Leafs you know, lose tonight and have to put together a, a, a new looking staff with the draft this, you know, not that far away. Well, it's a great question, Jeff, and and I think that's where it starts. It starts with the future of Kyle Dubas. And, you know, we've acknowledged, look, he's done a really good job here, and we acknowledge as well that if they let him go tomorrow, the chances are he'll probably be hired by somebody else next week and that sort of thing. Uh, But I think that that's where you start, right, for the reasons that you mentioned. You know, you've got the draft coming up. Uh, You have to start 
thinking about extending Austin Matthews this summer, and you're going to have to, to get to that. Uh, the capologist will have to go to work. If you do lose out, uh, do you make significant change to the roster? I think there's a good chance that that could happen. And the guy that would be doing that would be your general manager. So you have to identify Kyle Dubas and his future. Is he sticking around? Is he going? Is it time for a change? Does he end up somewhere else? Do you bring somebody else new in? So I think that's where it starts. And then I think the general manager, obviously, whomever it might be, Kyle or otherwise, uh, is going to have to make a decision on the head coach as well. Have you taken it as far as you can with Sheldon Keefe and that sort of thing? I don't know about you, Jeff, but I I started thinking the other night, uh, as well as they played from a structure standpoint, with the players selling out with the 21 shot blocks, 14 out of 18 skaters block at least one shot, with as well as they played defensively, and, and the pushback that they needed and required to get this series back to Toronto for game number five mm-hmm. coming up tonight. I wondered, if they lose, is there anything to the way that they lose? Like, if, if, if they go up with a whimper, especially on home ice, and they get beaten soundly tonight, you know, does that make any sort of a decision a little bit more difficult to make? Or is it just a be-all and end-all? If they can't uh, get back and win this series uh, what really was gained anyhow? Have you gone as far as you can with the GM, the head coach, the big four, the roster as it's uh, comprised right now? I just wonder, like, if they lose in overtime tonight, it's a great game and, and you see a lot of positive signs. Does that diminish the loss? Or in the end, ultimately, Jeff, is it just a loss and you've come up far short of your ultimate goal? I'll be interested to find out, and I think tonight's going to have a lot to say about it. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree, and I, I think a lot of people, whether they're Maple Leafs fans or just Maple Leafs observers or just hockey fans in general that are curious about, you know, this uh, this team that writes, you know, more revenue-sharing checks than, than any other uh, team in the NHL. Mm-hmm. And I think we're all sort of just going on feel here. Like, we don't know. Like, ultimately, this decision is going to be made, you know, at the uh, the upper upper uh, levels. Um, so we're talking about, you know, my employer. Uh, we're talking about Bell. We're talking about Larry Tannenbaum. And, and we're all just sort of guessing here. I know I am. Yeah. You know, I'm not in any of the, the, those meetings. Um, but what it feels like, and again, this is just me. You might have a different number, Scotty. Elliot's got a different number. Gord Stalick will have a different number, too. To me, the number to keep, considering what happened in the first three games, the number to keep, you know, the uh, the ghosts away and you know keep the, uh, the 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 pink paper out of the fax machine is seven. Like, does it not feel like the Maple Leafs need to get this to a seventh game and then whatever happens happens? Because I always look at this and say, all right, let's go big picture. Because right now, what everyone is doing is riding the emotional highs and lows, game to game, Tampa series into the Florida Panthers series. But, you know, Rogers, Bell, Tannebaum, they don't look at it game to game. They look at, you know, they look at trends and they look at big picture and they look at, you know, uh, expectations based on, um, you know, uh, what they want their return on investment to be and based on, you know, what they thought would be a successful season at the beginning of the year. And the thing that I keep coming back to, Scott, is if I told you the beginning of the year that the Maple Leafs would finally get over the hump and would win a first-round series, and the team they would beat are the Tampa Bay Lightning, one of, if not maybe, the best team in the salary cap era, with all due respect to the teams like the Chicago Blackhawks and Pittsburgh Penguins, etc., they would beat the Tampa Bay Lightning in the process and then bow out to last year's President's Trophy-winning mm-hmm. Florida Panthers. I might say to myself, you know what? That's a good year for the Toronto Maple Police, a good year for Kyle Dubas, and a good year for Sheldon Keefe. But here we are saying, you know what? Knock all the chess pieces off the board and start the whole thing all over again. And I wonder if that's not just because everybody's going game to game to game and you're just riding this up-and-down roller coaster of emotions as a hockey fan. Yeah, you're trying to balance everything out. You're trying to balance out what your preseason prognostications look like for this team and expectations, and you're balancing that out with the teams that they've come up against throughout the course of the season and on through the playoffs as well. So, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, if they if they force it to seven and lose out in heartbreaking fashion, does that matter? Uh, I started to think about that the other night just because there was pushback and there was fight within this group when many doubted that there could be 
again, at the end of the day, if they come up short, you know, in five games or six games or seven games, does it really matter? Ultimately, they just came up short. I know people have talked about the core four a lot and the big four up front, uh, and, and deservedly so. And, you know, for Mitch Martin to score the game, winner a couple of nights ago, especially on the heels of, yep. you know, him getting defensive earlier this week, and we don't listen to you guys. We only care about what's said in this room and the whole bit. I don't care about Matthew Kachuk, my former line mate in London, punching me in the face a couple of times. No big deal. Uh, you know, I, I think that was pretty significant, too. And a lot of people have said, you know what? It took Steve Eiserman a long, long time to break through to win the Stanley Cup. It wasn't until Scotty got there and yeah. things really seemed to mesh and change for Eiserman and for the team itself. And then we know his history and going on to win a couple of Stanley Cups. You know, give this core four a little bit more time. Look how long it took Alexander Ovechkin. They could never get past the first round, and usually they were kicked to the curb by the Pittsburgh Penguins. And it wasn't until 2018 that they got it done. But but I'd remind people yeah. that while it took Eiserman a while to get there and he finally got there, and while it took Ovechkin a long, long time to get there and he finally got there in 2018, Jeff, there was significant change around those players, around that nucleus, right, throughout the course of their development and progression. There were yes. coaching change. There were the, the changes. There were there were changes in the front office. The roster changed uh, a little bit, sometimes a lot, as it turned out with those teams trying to get there. So, uh, again, should they come up short here, and you're looking at this core here for the last handful of years, not being able to deliver, I think that all bets could be off. And uh, again, we'll have to wait and see. Does mm-hmm. does the fight? amount to anything or is it just ultimately you lost and now it's time to really uh, switch up the deck chairs here just a little bit fascinating to watch um we'll be tuned into this one for sure uh meanwhile edmonton and vegas tonight the the late game so no petrangelo no darnell nurse uh nurse sitting because the uh, the automatic one game suspension is mm-hmm. upheld and Alex Petrangelo for the slash on the hand of uh, of Leon Dreisaitl. He sits down for one. What did you make of both decisions? And and bef- b- before you, you answer, I find it, I find it tough. I'm, I'm, maybe tough is the wrong word. I find it interesting that people are somehow looking at the Department of Player Safety and saying they need to measure one off against each other. When the Department of Player Safety looks at everything as if it is an isolated incident, as they should, and try to drag the emotion out of all of it and just look at all the evidence that's presented. What I'm trying to get at here is the the Department of Player Safety, George Peros, doesn't say, well, we gave this to Nurse, so Mm -hmm. then we should give this to Petrangelo. They just look at these as standalone incidents. Anyhow, your, your thoughts on both of the suspensions for tonight. Yeah, as a lazy hockey fan, as a lazy media member, I'm sitting back and I'm going, oh, it seems fair. You know, one for this guy, one for this guy. Arguably Edmonton's top defenseman, arguably Vegas's top defenseman. Just let them sit out and get back in it in game six. So so that's me as a lazy hockey fan slash media member sitting back and going, oh, it seems fair. <laughs> uh, but you're right. I mean, each situation is different, right? I mean, the automatic one-game suspension, we've seen very, very, you know, rare cases where it gets overturned and such, and people were wondering whether or not it yep. gets rescinded here uh it didn't okay so you've got the one game for darnell nurse i think a lot of people felt like it could have been a little bit more uh for petrangelo and i think the the gamut runs from just the one game that he got to perhaps as many as three i heard kelly rudy saying i thought it felt like three uh so again i understand all sides of it uh it was not a hockey play there's no question about that i just wonder too jeff and and maybe you've wondered as well the fact that dry subtle generally speaking, was okay afterwards. I mean, everybody knows that what the Department of Player Safety does is, first of all, they have to determine whether or not there was an on-ice crime committed. And if they feel that somebody's overstepped their boundaries and this is a suspendable offense, well, that's when they start to factor in other things. A player's history, uh, was there an injury on the play, that sort of thing. I just wonder... With dry settle more or less being okay afterwards and being able to quote unquote finish the game and you know go off into the dressing room with his teammates afterwards, 
I wondered whether or not that had something to do with it. Because I, I don't think from my perspective, Jeff, that I there's did, any yeah. question that if Drysaddle had gone right to the dressing room and they had to have announced afterwards that he's going for an MRI, we think that there could be some concern for some significant injury here, then that would have probably played into it. Uh, just basically from a human nature standpoint, this was a, a vicious slash that was not a hockey play. And if it resulted in something that was fairly significant to a guy that right now is tied with Rupe Hintz, uh, for the playoff scoring lead, then I think yeah. things could have been different. And I think the fact that 29 didn't get seriously injured, more or less, uh, I think, you know, mm-hmm. just from a human nature standpoint, certainly played in that decision. I think that's a great point, and, and I agree with you on that one. And, you know, the, the one thing that we can point to is the, uh, the Michael Bunting suspension. So mm-hmm. that's a three-gamer. Um, yep. I'm very much of the belief that the Department of Player Safety received some type of information, and it proved to be you know, true, that Eric Chernak was going to be out for a long time based on what happened yep. with Michael Bunting. And I think that was a major contributing factor uh, for Michael Bunting sitting out for three games. Like if, you know, if, if, if Chernak would have been, you know, uh, quote-unquote fine or okay, mm-hmm. just missed a couple of shifts and, and came back, I think we're looking at something much different than what he got. But but I'm with you. Like if, if Dreisaitl goes off and doesn't return and, you know, there's questions about him playing in the following game, I think that... I think that suspension is, uh, is, is much different. Um, real quick, a, a thought on tonight, and I think the one thing that, you know, listen, I'm certainly wondering is, are we going to get a game in this series, Scott Lachlan, where both teams show up? Because so far, we've had some tilted ranks. Vegas has looked good. Yep. Edmonton's look good. We're waiting for them to both look good at the same time, Scotty. Yeah, I think tonight's the night. And, and I, I look back on last night, Jeff. I mean, I thank the Canes and Devils for supplying what I think was clearly the best game of that series, yeah. right? I mean, that was really what we kind good. of expected yes. to see more of, where it was kind of wild and woolly and all over the map uh, for the first bunch of games before leading up to, to the clinching situation for Carolina last night. So, look, I'd have to think, yeah, we're looking at a close game tonight. That's what I'm certainly hoping for. I, I want to see more of what we saw last night from the Devils and the Canes. Uh, I don't want to see a situation yeah. where the game is so lopsided that the third period starts, and then you start to wonder, okay, when does the message sending start tonight? And all of a sudden we get more of that that comes into play. Let's have a close game that's in doubt right up until the final horn. Whoever should win, may the best team win. But let's hope that we can avoid some of the shenanigans that we've seen here earlier in the series. I mean, I like my hockey played, my playoff hockey played with a whole lot of animosity, no question. But when it gets to be a lopsided game where it's a multi-goal lead for one team and you're trying to get your pound of flesh to set the tone for the next game, it gets to be a little bit tired game after game after game. So let's hope we see more of what the Devils and Canes offered up last night down there in Raleigh. I uh, could not agree with you more. And the, the bane of my existence is the uh, the automatic scrums after every whistle, <laughs> which is why I always loved Paul Stewart when he would pull the linesman out of scrums and say, no one's coming in, boys. <laughs> because it, not, nothing nothing strikes fear into a hockey player like a referee yeah. saying, lineys, get out. You guys settle it or just get to the face-off thought here. Um, last one for you, Scotty. Uh, I don't know about you, but I have a whole lot of sympathy for Jonas Siegenthaler. Mm. I can only imagine what that must have felt oh. like last night. And every second probably felt like it was 10 minutes as he's sitting in the box and the puck over the glass and uh, the Carolina Hurricanes yeah. score. And I don't know about you, but if, if I was Jonas Siegenthaler, I might still be sitting in that penalty box, Scott. Well, I know you're like me, Jeff, from this standpoint, that you automatically thought back to 2006, and I thought, man, if I could just talk to Brian Campbell right now to get his thoughts on the way that that all played out for for his then-head coach, Lindy Ruff, and for Siegenthaler's head coach, Lindy Ruff, with the Devils now, uh, because my mind immediately went back to Raleigh, the same location, back in 2006, Eastern Conference Final Series, a berth in the Stanley Cup Final on the line, basically. And it's a 2-2 game, and Brian Campbell puts the puck over the glass. I guess it was at 11:22, just because I looked it up last night to make sure I was correct on it, because it was 17 (laughs) years ago now. Uh, But Campbell puts the puck over glass, uh, the Canes score in the power play. I think they added an empty netter as well to make it 4-2, and the Canes are playing for the Stanley Cup, which, of course, they eventually won in outlasting the Edmonton Oilers. So uh, it was just so 
so painful to watch, not only for Siegenthaler, but I thought back to Lindy, and then a little while later, Lindy did confirm in his postgame comments that it is kind of eerie that, you know, this puck over glass thing haunts him in Raleigh once again. Uh, so I think, look, the Devils, I, I think that they can hold their heads up high collectively. I know they're probably hurting today, but when you look at where they were last season, missing the playoffs by 37 points, having to go seven goalies deep, Jeff, seven goaltenders deep, and then yeah. to come up with this type of a season that they did, and we know two games in, fire Lindy a month later, it was sorry, Lindy, and, and all of a sudden they finished <laughs> second in the Metro. Look, they learned a lot here in this in this playoff run that they had, right? I mean, they, they lost a couple to the Rangers, yep. looked like they were overwhelmed, got it back together. Lost a couple to Carolina, looked like they were in over their heads again, got it back together, and at least had some semblance of a pushback. I think we found out a whole bunch about the character of a guy who's not a big guy, uh, but is going to be one of the superstars of this league for so many years to come, and that's 21-year-old Jack Hughes playing with an upper body injury, and his head coach said afterwards, I wasn't even sure he was going to play tonight. So he showed us a lot of toughness and heart, uh, and I think the Devils did as well. And, and, oh, by the way, happy birthday to Akira Schmid. He's 23 today, and I think they also found out that while Vitek Vanacek is going to be a guy for the next couple of seasons that can play at least half your schedule, yeah. the goalie of the future for the Devils, as it turns out, is Akira Schmid, who turns 23 today. A couple of things here, just like we talked about managing expectations for the Toronto Maple Leafs. If I told you know Lindy Ruff and Jack Hughes and Tom Fitzgerald and everybody in this you know in this uh, in this New Jersey Devils organization, all the players that the New Jersey Devils were finally going to break through, make it to the postseason and beat the Rangers, would they consider that a successful welcome back? to playoff hockey, I'm guessing just about everyone in the organization would say, yeah, we look at that and call it a success. Well, yeah. That's why it, I look it, at New Jersey and I'm like, absolutely. Chin, up, chin up, man. And you know, the other thing too, Jeff, I mean, if you had to ask Lindy before the season, are you going to have your job at the end of the year? Like, truth be told, truth serum involved. I mean, yeah. Andrew Burnett comes up from Florida. Andrew did a great job taking over in, in tough circumstances, as we know, for the Panthers. I know the second round last spring didn't work out as advertised against the Tampa Bay Lightning. But, you know, clearly Lindy knows yeah. what the score is, and he's going to have to produce probably to keep his job because he got a guy on the bench now that, that obviously could step in and, and probably do a pretty good job himself too. Uh, and, of course, Ironically, Brunette's name's been kicked around, as you know, Jeff, uh, for some openings this time around as well. So Lindy did a fabulous job. I feel great for him. Uh, he feels like that team's trending in the right direction. And despite some tough lessons learned here in the playoffs, I think that we can all agree that, yes, the Devils are a team to contend with for the next handful of years. Yeah, they're going to be in the playoffs now. Uh, you know, the, it, it's almost an, an automatic barring injuries. And, and as far as Burnett goes, I would have to think. And like, who knows? We'll, we'll see what happens with the New Jersey bench situation. But I would have to think, Scotty, that once Calgary, and I, I wonder if they get this done sooner than later, once they, they settle their general manager situation, mm-hmm. they have to have a conversation with Burnett, though, don't they? Like just given all the success yeah. that Brunette had with Jonathan Huberto and, and how much of a yep. how much of a major issue it's going to be getting Jonathan Huberto back next season for the Calgary Flames and the big ticket kicks in next year uh, for Jonathan Huberto as well. I would imagine like at least a conversation, no? Yeah, I think so. And I think that that's one of the things that the Flames have realized is that like, we're paying Jonathan Huberto to be a 100-point guy like he was in Florida. We're paying him yeah. a lot of money over a long term we need to make sure that he's right. We need to make sure he's closer to what he was in Florida and not what we saw in pulling back and dropping back last season under Daryl Sutter. So whether it's Andrew Burnett or whether it's the connection with Gerard Gallant that we know of going back to St. John, uh, I think that's the most yeah. important thing uh, alongside, of course, Jacob Barkstrom playing a lot better than he did this season. Nobody's saying he has to go out and pitch nine <laughs> shutouts like the previous one where he was a Vezina Trophy nominee, but he's got to be a lot better. Yeah. Get your goalie back. Get Huberto back to be in that offensive force that he was with the Panthers, and that should go a long way towards Calgary getting back into the postseason again. You're the goods. Uh, listen, bud, thanks so much for this. Uh, up the irons, uh, as Maiden fans always say, and you have a wonderful weekend of hockey and, uh, and heavy metal. We'll check back soon. All right. Same back at you. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Scott Lachlan is the co-host of the Morning Skate on NHL Network Radio, Sirius XM Channel 91. Um, does a great job alongside Gordon Stalick. Just a terrific morning show. Just a fantastic hockey morning show. Uh, Daniel Briere is told to come. Danny's going to stop by in about 15 minutes' time, Flyers general manager. 
Um, he would have been on that 2000. Hang on a second here. Hey, Matty Marchese. Yes, sir. That 2006 Buffalo Sabres team that you know, Lindy Ruff ended up with the uh, the puck over the glass, Brian Campbell. Daniel Brier was on that team, right? I believe so. I'm, I'm just live checking show right prep? now. Because I think that yeah, was... Cause, <laughs> I've never heard that one live show prep. I like that. Yeah, we're doing just live show prep. Yeah, it's he very was. exciting he here on the, uh, on the Friday. He was? There were yeah. three general managers on that team. Daniel Briere, Chris Drury, and Mike Greer. Oh, yeah. I have that right? That's true. Yeah. Three GMs uh, in Mike the Greer, NHL right Mike now Greer from that, that 2006 team. team. Is Greer on that team, the 2016? No, he wasn't. Glass. He was not. Sorry, Lindy Ruff. Mike Greer wasn't on that team? No, but there there are some there are some other front office guys like, um, of course Ryan Miller, front office guy. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, Brian mm-hmm. Campbell's in a front office somewhere as well, is he not? Hang on a second here. I'm gonna. Hang this on, is hang great. On. This is great. Oh, I know. Yeah, watch us uh, get on our uh, on our MacBooks here to try <laughs> to figure this out. Well, they gave you a MacBook? No, he was. No, hang on a second. What are you talking about? Greer was on that 2016. Oh, I was looking at 0607. That's my bad. No, you dope. How do you get through a day? Uh, that's a great question, Jeff. That's a really good <laughs> Yeah, there question. you go. Chris Drury, Daniel Briere, and Mike Greer. Yeah, Greer was on that team. Yeah, right. I'll put another one in the win column. Man, Jeff. that team was good. That team was good, man. I thought that team should have won. That team, like honestly, that Buffalo Sabres team, Maddie, with uh, with um, with Briere and Drury and Brian Campbell and Ryan Miller. Uh, remember how good Tim Connolly was? Just like super skilled Thomas Vanek. That team should have won a Stanley Cup, no? Like when we always go back and look at the and have a you know, chin wag about the the best teams to never win the Stanley Cup. I throw that Sabres team in there, and they were fun to watch. That was a fun Sabres team to watch, man. Jason Pominville, Teppo Newman in on that squad. And Ryan Miller Derek was Roy. near the peak oh, of his powers there. Maxima Finneganoff. This is a good team, man. Your buddy this Jay McKee. Won the Stanley Cup. Sorry, Sabres fans. What's that? Your buddy Jay McKee. I do like Jay McKee. Jay McKee was a shot-blocking machine yep. on that team. And then he took that and parlayed it into a... Uh, a really sweet contract with St. Louis. I think it was like four years. Was it four years, twenty million? It's it's, it's more millions than you and I are going to make. That's for sure. You got that right, buddy. Um, okay, okay so we... I, I I feel like I do this. I what? Go ahead. No, no, no. Go, go, go. Because I wanted to talk about the Siegenthaler thing. Okay, I'll we'll go for it. I'm happy so, to talk about the Siegenthaler thing. I feel bad for the guy. Yeah, so do I. And there's a couple there's a couple things here because as we talk about Jonas Siegenthaler, okay. you know who's getting a pass in all of this, Jeff? Who's getting a pass? Who's getting a pass? Yeah. Timo Meyer. What for missing the open net? Yep. That's a three one yeah, game, totally different conversation. Empty one. net. Like he makes that ninety nine out of a hundred times. He just missed it at the wrong time. I know. But I he's know. getting a pass. Nobody's talking about that. Like- I know. I, I didn't. I didn't bring it up. I know. You're right. He missed the empty net earlier on. Had a good game though. No, two points. Right. <laughs> but but see but Siegenthaler like the worst the yeah. worst part about the Siegenthaler thing is he's gonna watch that tape back and he's gonna see that no. and I don't know who the player was on the other side of the ice is wide open. Like it's just a it's a stretch pass the other way and it's a play that every defenseman in the NHL can make. The guy he's not getting pressed that hard for him to make that play, which is why that's going to kill him even more watching it. If he ever watches it back, knowing that there's a guy on the other side of the ice that is wide open. It's, it happens. It's a, it's a penalty that happens. Would you watch that back? Would you want to relive that? No, God, no, I've, I've relived enough bad memories. I don't need to relive anymore. (laughs) <laughs> not a, not a chance. All right, I got to ask you this like pretty much every single day that goes by. Today is a very yeah. salient one. 
How are you feeling, noted Toronto Maple Leafs fan Matt Marchese? Game five tonight in your barn, your fans. They came to see the Chiefs, scouts with contracts in their hand. Oh, sorry, a different situation. Uh, your team in action tonight against the Florida Panthers, game five. I feel just like I did ahead of game four. I have no feeling. The only thing that I'm feeling is dreading driving down to the rink tonight. That's the only thing that I'm feeling going. right now. Yeah, I will You're be in the press box tonight, not cheering. Bro. Yeah, I will not be cheering tonight. Um, but I will say this. I, I look at the totality of this series and I say, I don't think it's been, it's, it's been one of the closer series that we've seen because all game, like the, the biggest blowout was two goals in the first game and it wasn't really yeah. a blowout. Um, and then you can, you can say that this series hinges on 66 seconds where the Leafs just totally lost their minds and we could be talking about this being 2-2 being back in Toronto and not 3-1 so I have I have Mm -hmm. all the expectation that the Leafs are going to come out and bring it but I also have all the expectation and you mentioned it in the open or in the opening segment with Elliot Matthew Kachuk is going to show up here he's going to show up like he was he was not really there like he normally has been in this series or in these playoffs in game four and that's another thing that they have to contend with and it's something they haven't done very well yeah. when he's been on the ice and playing well is they don't it's almost like they don't know how to react when he's on the ice when he's playing well it, he i know he's great and he's one of the best players in the league and he takes over a game but it's almost as if they pay him too much attention and kind of just let him do his thing like mitch marner laughing at him as he's getting punched in the face. I don't necessarily love it all the time, but in that situation, he's saying like, listen, I know what you're trying to do here. You're not going to get under my skin. And I know a lot of people didn't like what Matthew Kachuk did. I am here to say that any player who is worth their weight is doing what Matthew Kachuk did. I So I applaud what he did, mm-hmm. but he's going to show up tonight, and that should be a worry for Toronto. So I was on with J.D. Bunkus this morning, and J.D. asked me, who's the one player, like, in a situation like this, you know, Game 5 in Toronto uh, against the Florida Panthers, backs against the wall, no tomorrow, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, cliche, cliche. Um, who, do you, who do you watch? Like, who's the, 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 the player of the most interest? And to me, it's Mitch Marner. Because I don't think that anybody feels it as much as Marner. He's the guy that lives here. He's the guy that's grown up here. He's a guy that's, you know, played in the GTHL with, you know, Vaughn Kings and Don Mills. And we all watched him play with the, the London Knights of the OHL. That, to me, is the guy. And as much as he, you know, uh, you know, at the availability a couple of days ago, talks about, you know, tuning everything out and doesn't listen to anybody. And, and that's fine. Doesn't read Twitter. Doesn't read the criticism and the, the, the conversation. Um, you know, there are people around that will let him know uh, what the nature of the conversation is. But... That guy, when it when it comes to how he feels about playing in Toronto, he's not the best poker player because you know that he feels all of it. And even in moments where he tries to convince everybody and maybe himself that it doesn't bother him, he's from the he's from the city of Toronto. It's inevitable. It has to, don't you think, Maddie? Like it has yeah. to. There's no chance. Yeah. Like at the end of the season, guys will hit the airport. He goes home. Yeah, and he and he's a guy that a lot is expected of. Um, and he he's I feel like he's made that comment before too about not caring what the media says and whatnot. And I'll tell you, as much as as much as I'm watching Mitch Marner, I know we do have to hit a break. The guy that I'm waiting for, and I think a lot of Lee fans are waiting for. There's got to be an there's got to be an Austin Matthews signature game in this series if they want to stay alive. There's no way around it. I'll tell you, he's hang, your, he's your best on. goal scorer. Really he's got to do he it. Didn't, I I don't disagree about that, but I thought he was really good last game, even though he didn't score. Like he was selling out on a lot of shots, man. Yeah, but think. but he's got like I know what yes. you mean. Like you, you, he's got to snap into. I know what you mean. He's got to produce offensively. That's what they pay him for. I mean, I love the blocking shots thing because he's bought in, but he's got to score some goals if they want to stay alive. All right. Uh, we will be tuned into this one uh, tonight, 7 o'clock Eastern pregame at 6.30 uh, with your host, Ron McLean and Hockey Central. It is the Florida Panthers and the Toronto Maple Leafs. 
Game 5. CBC and Sportsnet later. It's the Oilers and the Vegas Golden Knights. Game 5. Uh, that series all knotted up at twos. Hit a break. Daniel Briere is the general manager uh, of the Philadelphia Flyers. Interesting press conference today. We'll get into all of that and what the new orange will look like. That's what they're referring to it as now. The new orange uh, will look like in the days, the weeks, months, and years to come. Flyers GM Daniel Briere in moments as the Merrick Show returns across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Back in a moment. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. We're going to uh, finish up the program here with uh, Daniel Briere, the general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers, just waiting for him to, uh, to give us a ring. Busy day. They had the press conference today. Uh, Dan Helferty was there, Valerie Camillo, John Tortorella, Keith Jones, who's now the president uh, of Hockey Operations, and Daniel Briere as well. You know, Philly continues to be one of the more interesting teams. I know here we are at, at, at playoff time. The premium is always on the games, but other business continues. Um, the Philadelphia Flyers have been a fascinating team to, to follow all season long, and this is going to be a fascinating offseason for the Philadelphia Flyers, and it's going to be... I think a really interesting couple of uh, couple of years here for Philadelphia on the horizon as um, as this new management group of Briere Jones and I also I always want to throw John Tortorella into this as well uh, because he has a really big voice. He's going to be part of decision making. Ultimately, final decisions rest with Daniel Briere, who had the interim tag officially uh, removed yesterday. Uh, the full time general manager. Um, but there's a, a lot of input from a lot of people here. Um, but the decision is made uh, by Daniel Briere on who's on this team and who's not uh, on this team. And I think there's some big decisions on the horizon. This, uh, and it's not just you know who the Flyers are going to draft in the first round. I think there's you know what's going to happen with this roster, and I think there are questions you know about you know, at, you know questions at every single level uh, on this roster. We'll get into that with uh, with my next guest. He is Daniel Briere. Yesterday, uh, officially the interim tag removed. He is now the GM of the Philadelphia Flyers, and he joins me now. Danny, how are you today? Thanks so much for doing this. Hi, Jeff. I'm doing good. Yourself? Uh, I'm doing well. Okay, before I ask you about the Philadelphia Flyers. I want to ask you about something Lindy Ruff said last night because you're part of it. So yesterday, the, as you know, the New Jersey Devils uh, losing overtime, puck over the glass. You feel bad for Jonas Siegenthaler sitting in the, in the penalty box for this. Carolina wins. And one of the things Lindy says is uh, it's the second time my team has you know, uh, lost a game in the playoffs in a game seven because of puck over glass both times in Carolina. That was that 06 team that you were part of. You and Chris Drury, yeah. uh, co-captains of, uh, of of that team. Brian Campbell throws the puck over the glass. And, uh, and Rod Brindamore, interestingly enough, is the, the, the player that scores a goal, now the head coach of the Carolina Hurricanes. What do you remember from that game, Danny? I remember we were in control of the game, uh, third period, uh, when, when that happened. Um, Brian Campbell ended up shooting the puck over the glass and uh, that was the power play goal that that tied it up i believe um or was it game the goal winner. ahead go ahead goal winner. yeah okay yeah. so it was 2-2 two, two two then goal. so yeah um it's unfortunate but it is what it is and it, it's the game so it's it's part of the game it's, i know it's, yeah. it's probably tough to swallow uh, it was tough to swallow at the time for us i uh, totally get it but um yeah it is what it is unfortunately you know that that uh, that team still resonates in the NHL right now. I was just making the point before you came on. Um, there's three general managers that are from that team. There's yourself. There's Chris Drew at the Rangers. Um, there's Mike Greer with the San Jose Sharks. Did you think for like at, at any point did you ever look around the room and say, you know what, I'm going to be a GM one day. My you know Greer's going to be a GM one day. Uh, Drury's going to be a GM one day. I mean, maybe the obvious answer is no. But did you ever think that there was a possibility of of any of you three gentlemen running NHL teams? 
Certainly not at that at that time. It's uh, it's pretty wild uh, looking back how how this is all happening. But uh, I mean, looking back, you know, uh, just talking around with Chris Drury and Mike Greer, they were you know some of the smartest uh, player I've had the chance to play with. So I'm I'm not surprised they are in a position that they are today. Um, so first of all, uh, I, I should have said this off the top. Congratulations on on having the interim tag removed. And you know, I, I thought the press conference was uh, was interesting, and and a lot of things weren't very. There wasn't anything surprising, but when I heard Keith Jones talk about how he's going to have input on decisions, but you're going to have the final say. We know that John Tortorella has a big voice in this organization, but you're going to have um, the, the the final say. You know, b- before you accepted this position, you know, how were the the conversations? Because you know, knowing your background, how you know the league, how you want to act as a general manager. How important was it for you, as much as there's going to be input from Keith Jones and John Tortorella and other advisors, uh, for you to have the, the final stamp on all decisions? Well, the way, the way I see it is it's going to be, uh, we're going to do it uh, collaboratively. Um, it's not going to be just, you know, my show or uh, Keith Jones' show. And uh, that's, that's where I'm really excited about. I wasn't worried when, when I found out that it was Keith Jones I wasn't worried that uh, it was all going to be about Keith Jones, that he was uh, coming in here, you know, to to push his way around. Uh, knowing Keith over the years, um, I, I know, first of all, he's got a, a great mind. Um, I love uh, how he describes the game and how he sees the game when you listen to him on TV. Uh, but more importantly, I knew that um, he, he's a team, team guy. He's, he wants, uh, you know, this to be a teamwork and a team effort. So that's what I'm, I'm so excited about. So there's no worries there. We're going to, uh, hopefully we're going to have different opinions because that's, that's healthy. Um, I don't want guys around me that uh, are all saying the same thing that I'm saying. I want people to have their own opinion. John Tortorella is going to have his own opinion uh, as well. Um, mm-hmm. But we're, we're going to work together to find the answers and the solutions to, to our problems. So um, I, I'm really excited about it. Um, how how big a job is this? Um, redoing this Philadelphia Flyers squad uh, in the way that uh, yourself and uh, Keith Jones and, and John Tortorella, the new management group, to say nothing of you know Dan Helford, he comes in now as a uh, as a new boss here as well. How big a job is this? And you know how much how much runway do you need to to get a team in a position where you can say, okay, now we have you know this solid foundation of what this team is is going to look like in the future and, and long term. Well, we're we're still evaluating. We're we're going to evaluate next year as well because the reality is uh, we have a long ways to become a cup contender. We we know that we realize that, but at the same time, there's some pieces, there's some players in the second half of last season that took a step forward that we're really excited about. Um, you know, but it, it's going to take time, and we're we're going to give the chance to the young guys to play and see what they're made of, and if they can be part of the solution moving forward. We're we're going to need some patience. Uh, most likely from from our fans too, uh, a little bit at, at the beginning. But um, you know, the players will decide how long this process goes for. Um, you know, the and, and there's also a lot of things that got to fall into place as far as um, you know draft picks and trades and and how everything is going to come about. So um, it's too early to to put a number. I think it's too premature at this time to put a number on it. Um, but there's going to be some some grown pains that we're going to have to go through first. You know, um, I think one of the players that really popped for a lot of people and, and you know, you, you look, okay, what's this team going to look like in three, four, five years? Um, I think Sammy Erson looked real. I mean, this isn't a surprise to any Philadelphia Flyers fan listening or watching right now. Sammy Erson looked really good, and that has to give you uh, – you know, cause for pause and maybe open up some possibilities with, with what to do with the net mining situation. But who are some of the players that, you know, um, after you took over uh, from Chuck Fletcher, you know, started to, to really pop for you? And maybe, you know, bef- before there was some question about them, but now their play has sort of played themselves onto the roster here more full-time than ever before. Who popped for you last year? Well, um, Sam Erson is definitely one of them. It was pretty impressive the way the way he played. He came in in, in relief. 
you know, and, and that's an interesting part because uh, part of the strength uh, strength of our future is, is actually goaltending. Um, you know, all our guys are young. Carter Hart is still very young, very talented uh, goaltender that's already been a number one at, at his age. There's not too many guys that have the numbers or has had as many starts as him at, at his age. Samerson is coming on. Felix Sandstrom is still young. He's still developing. We have uh, another young guy. Uh, last name is Kolosov in um, uh, the KHL, uh, who's coming on, who's only 20 years old. Um, there's also, um, you know, Sedatov, who um, we're not sure of the status at this point, uh, but was supposed to come over last year. So it, it's pretty interesting how, you know, the Flyers for so many years always had an issue with goaltending. Now it's, it seems to be um, kind of a strength of, of the future <laughs> of the team. So um, I'm excited about that. Uh, as far as some of the young guys that popped, obviously Owen Tippett had a great year last year. Um, Travis Konechny had uh, a huge bounce-back season and, and, and really showed what that he, you know he's an all-star player. Um, you know Morgan Frost, the second half of the year, was, was really good. Uh, Noah Cates really surprised us. Um, Cam York on defense is, is uh, was starting to come. So uh, th- there's a lot of positives uh, when, when we start talking about our young guys, but um, they still have a lot of work. They got to keep going in that direction. They got to keep getting better for us to have a chance to be successful. I only have a couple of minutes left with you here, Danny, before the, uh, the conclusion of the show. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Owen Tippett. Um, I'll be honest with you. I was really skeptical how this relationship was going to work. Owen Tippett and John Tortorella. Um, wh- why, yeah. why has this worked? I thought like right away, like, oh, I don't know if this is going to be good. This is going to be a clash. Um, <laughs> it seemed to work right from the get-go, Danny. Like, I was really surprised. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, and that's all credit to, to Owen. Um you know, we knew there was going to be some casualties. Uh, some guys would not be able to handle the tough love uh, from from uh, Torts. Um, but to his credit, uh, Owen is really strong mentally. Um, is the season that he had, and then it's not like Torts took it easy on him. He really pushed pushed him hard and yeah. challenged him hard. And the way he answered is is you know pretty amazing um so i'm i'm really proud of uh of him and and the other guys that i i mentioned earlier how they were pushed hard by uh by john and were able to answer it shows the type of character and that's what gets us excited to see the type of character that these guys these players showed uh i've got 60 seconds danny this is uh this is of a personal nature when you uh when you finally had the interim tag removed uh, and you became a full-time general manager in the NHL. Who was your first phone call? <laughs> um, it, it was my wife. Um, she, uh, she's she been hanging around, and she has a crazy job as well. So, um, you know, it was more about trying to figure out how we're going to uh, see each other here and there. So, um, <laughs> But, you know, there's so many people, <laughs> so many people along the way that uh, have, have helped. You know, I'm, um, you know it, would, it would take too long to, to thank everybody, but they know who they are. Um, sure. and, and the people back home too. Uh, growing up, uh, I've had a lot of support uh, from the crew in Gatineau. So, uh, thank you to all all of the the listeners that know they're part of it. Well, that's great. Listen, uh, congratulations. I know a big lift is on the horizon uh, for the Philadelphia Flyers. We uh, it's a, the, one of the more interesting teams to follow here as the off season uh, approaches. <laughs> best of luck at the draft. Uh, best of luck in free agency and and into the summer. Thanks so much for this, Danny. Thank you so much, Jeff. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. There he is, general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers, Daniel Briere, uh, made official yesterday press conference today. Um, all right. A couple of big game fives tonight. 7 o'clock Eastern. Free games at 6.30 with Hockey Central and your host, Ron McLean. It is uh, the Maple Leafs and the Florida Panthers. Oilers and Vegas Golden Knights late. We all know what the stakes are in these games here, folks. Uh, thanks to Danny Briere, Scott Lachlan, Shane Knighty, Elliot Friedman, General in the Clans Kennedy, and Matt Marchese. Enjoy your weekend of hockey. We're back Monday, noon Eastern, 9 Pacific for the Merrick Show.